Well, good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to see all of you here today. Hopefully, the uh, uh, tryptophan has gotten all out of your system from the turkey, and you're now awake and aware and not in a turkey coma. Thank you for all of those of you who are joining us online, and if the tryptophan is still on your case, I understand it does have that effect. Hey, we're going to continue our series called Freedom, and this is actually the last Sunday in this series. Next week, we're going to start a uh, Christmas-themed series called uh, What Child Is This?, where we're going to be taking a look at Matthew's gospel and looking at how Matthew describes Jesus. Uh, But that's next week. Today we're looking at freedom, and we're actually continuing a sermon that I started two weeks ago on 2 Corinthians 3, and I told you I had to split this sermon up so that uh, we wouldn't be here for four hours. So here we go. Today we're reading from what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has now come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, 
Will you please give us eyes to see and ears that hear and hearts that will receive your word. And Holy Spirit, will you be at work in each one of us that the veil will be removed and we can see the glory of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, Aretha Franklin has been called the Queen of Soul. Here's a, here's a picture of her, if you don't know what she looks like. This is, this is an older picture of her. She's been called the Queen of Soul, and rightfully so. I mean, here's a lady that in her lifetime recorded 112 charted singles. 112. 17 of those were uh, top 10 pop singles, and 20 of those were number one R&B uh, singles. She won 18 Grammy Awards, and she was the first woman ever to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2010, Franklin was ranked first, number one, on Rolling Stones magazine's list of the 100 greatest singers of all time. And she even received the Presidential Medal of Freedom by George W. Bush in 2005. Now, everybody has their favorite Aretha Franklin song. My favorite Aretha Franklin song is the song, the 1968 song, I think it is, Think. And if you don't know that song, it is a great song. Listen to it when you get home. Uh, there is this amazing section in the song. This is part of what makes me just, it, it, gets, it gets me going. Because there's a powerful, rousing cry of freedom in the middle of the song. If you don't know what that is, if you've never heard it before, if the copyright police won't get us, I'm going to play just a, a moment of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that can't like just make you want to get up and dance. That she has a powerful voice and that rousing cry of freedom is just it is powerful. And what most people don't know though is that song was recorded 6 days after Martin Luther King's funeral. Six days after. And so there's some people who really believe that that section where she sings freedom like that, with such power, is really a callback to Martin Luther King and his speech, I Have a Dream, where he said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. It's a powerful section of that song, and if that's true, it makes it even more powerful. Today, I want to share with you a powerful, rousing cry of freedom that doesn't come from Aretha Franklin or even Martin Luther King. It comes from the Scriptures. Two weeks ago in a sermon, I told you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and that's found right here in this passage. We read it just a few moments ago. And, and I told you how the Spirit gives us freedom from the law as law so that we can relate to the law as coach. In other words, the law no longer has this demand and penalty 
over us. But instead, now the law comes beside us as a coach and says, this is the way I want you to walk in it. Hey, you kind of messed up there. Let's try that again, but do it this way this time. Instead of condemnation, it is encouragement. Encouragement to live the way that Christ calls us to live. Today, I want you to look at another aspect of freedom. And this one, for, for, for my money's worth, this one is the one that is rousing. It is the one that just makes me want to shout, even as a Presbyterian. So here we go. The Spirit gives us freedom to know and experience the glory of God. The freedom, sorry, the Spirit gives us freedom to know and experience the glory of God. When I was reading the passage, did you notice how many times the word glory showed up? It seems like Paul is obsessed with that word. It happens 12 times, it occurs 12 times, and all of those occur in the last 11 verses. And the passage culminates with these words, verses 17 and 18. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is an amazing statement. A statement that Paul is clearly saying that in some way, in some fashion, in some form, we can experience God's glory. But we may not be ready to pick up what Paul is laying down in this passage. Because we may not really know the background of what he's talking about to get us there. So I would like to take a moment to back up and let's talk about the background so that we can understand the impact that Paul has in saying that those last two verses. All right? So you're going to have to buckle your seatbelts, put your thinking cap on for a moment, because this is going to be a wild ride. It's going to take us a bit. Here we go. To grasp the significance of this spirit-given freedom, the freedom that we just talked about, the freedom to know and experience the glory of God, to grasp that significance, we need to understand the account of the veiled glory on the face of Moses. If we're going to understand what Paul is getting at, we have to go all the way back to the book of Exodus to know this account where Moses had a glowing face. Now, some of you in the room know that story. Some of you don't. So we're going to back up again, and we're going to talk about this. So God's people were slaves in Egypt. They had been there for quite a while, and God raised up Moses to lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. And on the way to the promised land, they stopped by this mountain. The mountain was called Mount Sinai. And at that place, God met with his people. But God said, no one can touch the mountain. No one can come up the mountain except for Moses and live. So powerful was his presence there. So Moses goes up the mountain. He does this a couple of times, actually. And at least the second time, I think, 
he goes up the mountain and he's meeting with God and he's speaking with God. And he says, Exodus 33, 18, please show me your glory. Now here's Moses on top of the mountain. He's speaking with God like no one has ever spoken with God before. And he says, I want it all. I want to see everything you have. I don't want you to hold anything back. Show me everything that you are. I want it all. And God says, Exodus 33, verses 19 through 20, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So here's Moses saying, show me everything you have. And God says, I'd like to, but it would kill you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you something of my glory. I'm going to let my goodness pass before you, but you can't see everything because you couldn't handle it. All right? Verse uh, 22 of Exodus 33. And while my glory passes by, God says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here again, Moses says, show me everything, and God says, I can only show you the backside of my glory. You can't see it from the front. you got to see it from the back. And even that's going to have an effect on you, as we see in Exodus 34, 29. Because when Moses came down from the mountain, from Mount Sinai, and he had the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. All right? He had been talking with God. He had seen the backside of God's glory, and now his face was shining with that divine afterglow. I mean, it was just something about it was shining. We don't know what it looked like. Moses wasn't even aware of it, but the people who saw him were definitely aware of it. As we read in verse 30 of Exodus 34, Aaron, his brother, and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Here's, the, here's Moses coming down the mountain, and his face is shining, and they're like, whoa, that's scary. And they started to run away. And then, verses 31 and 32 of Exodus 34, Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. So here's Moses. He comes down the mountain. He has this glowing face. They run away from him. He says, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Come back. Listen to what God has to say to us. And then he gives them the instruction that they need to know how to live and they're looking at his face while he's doing this. All right? And then, a weird verse. Verse 33 of Exodus 34. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. That's strange, isn't it? I mean, you would think 
they're afraid. And Moses says, oh, my face is shining. Oh, I'll put this veil on so it won't scare you. But that's not what he does, right? He puts the veil on after he speaks with them what God has to say. Strange, right? What's going on there? And then we see there's a pattern that develops. Exodus 34, verses 34 and 35. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord, that is, whenever he went into the tabernacle to speak to God, he would remove the veil until he came out. In other words, he would go in the tabernacle to speak with God, and he would take the veil off, and he would speak directly to God. And when he came out and told the people what he was commanded, the people of Israel, listen to this, would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And in other words, Moses goes in, he's speaking to God, he takes off the veil, he speaks directly to God, he comes out, everybody sees that his face is glowing, He speaks to them, and then he puts the veil on. What is up with that veil? What is going on there? There are all kinds of uh, different ways that this verse, this passage has been interpreted. And I'm not going to go through every single one. I'm going to hit the one that I think makes the most sense of this passage and the passage we're reading, 2 Corinthians 3, And that's this, that the veil is a symbol of judgment. The veil is a symbol of judgment against hard-heartedness. In other words, Moses came down the mountain, his face is shining. The people, rather than going, oh, wow, look, his face is shining, We want our faces to shine too. Let us know the glory of God so that we too can have our faces shine and reflect the glory of God back to each other like your face is shining. No, they ran away. They were scared. They thought, if we get close to Moses, we might die. Because his glory, the glory of God is shining on his face and it's scary to us. Why? Because they were hard-hearted. And so, Moses, recognizing that they were hard-hearted, speaks to them God's word to let them see, yes, my face is reflecting God's glory, and now I'm going to put a veil on so that you can't see it anymore to know that God's judgment is on anyone who doesn't want to see the glory of God. Wow. Now, if you think, well, that sounds strange, Stuart. I've never heard that before. I'm not the only one who thinks this. Think, for example, um, Charles Spurgeon. In his sermon, The Shining Face of Moses, here's what he says. Why did Moses veil his face? The answer is this. It was a judicial symbol setting forth the sentence of God upon the people. The Lord, by this token, as good as said, you are so rebellious, so given to your idolatries, so unwilling to see, that henceforth you shall not see the brightness of my glory in the dispensation of the law in which you live. 
Moses shall veil his face because the veil is upon your hearts. The veil was literally on Moses' face, but spiritually it was on their hearts. Henceforth, they were not to see because they had not wished to see. He that willfully shuts his eyes will find that God takes away his sight. Those are hard words. In other words, God's saying, okay, I'm going to show you something of my glory reflected on Moses' face. And the people of God were like, no, we don't want that. We don't want your glory. We don't want to see it. We want what we want, and what we want is to build a golden calf and worship it. Their hearts were hard. And so the veil was a way of saying, your hearts are too hard to receive the glory of God. And that fits with what we see in this passage in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, verses uh, verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, and he's talking about the Jews of that day, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And this really explains what Paul is getting at in verses 7 and 8 of the same passage. Listen to what he says. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, that is, the ministry of law as law, came with such glory, it did have glory, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. Let me stop there. Most many people, when they read that, they immediately think, oh, they couldn't gaze at his glory because Moses, uh, his face was shining and they were scared. That's not what Paul is getting at. No, they couldn't gaze at the glory because Moses put a veil on. Do you hear what I'm saying? Instead of they couldn't gaze at him because his face was shining, no, they could see him when his face was shining, but then Moses put a veil on, and that's why they couldn't gaze. Not just see, gaze. They couldn't look with intention. They couldn't... Uh, continually view the glory of God reflected off of Moses' face. And that glory was being brought to an end. So verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit under the new covenant have even more glory? As uh, George Guthrie says in his commentary, the veil then becomes symbolic of a dull heart that does not grasp God's purposes, nor enjoy the outcome of being a people who know God's presence. In short, the people fail to embrace the fullness of the glorious relationship that God desires with them. Do you hear that? The people fail to embrace the fullness of the glorious relationship that God desires with them. God desires a relationship with us. Not a religion where we just show up and do certain things, but a relationship. And he wants to share something of his glory with us. He wants to share who he is and all of the fullness of that with us. And the only thing that keeps us from that is ourselves. 
our hard hearts. But the good news of this passage is that the Spirit removes this veil and frees us to gaze on God's glory. Do you hear that? That is really good news for people like me and you who recognize that our hearts are sometimes a little hard or maybe a lot hard. The Spirit removes that veil of hardness and frees us to gaze, not just to see, not just to look, but as John Piper says, to see and savor. We are gazing on the glory of God. And and that's what Paul is getting at in this verse. So let's walk through this passage one more time. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, again, that's the law's law, that's penalty, that's sorry, demand and penalty, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, again, because he put a veil on his face, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory... Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. See, what Paul is saying is the law as law, it it still has glory. It, It still is something of God's character because the law is really about God's character. And it still shows his glory. It still shows his goodness. It still shows how amazing and beautiful and wonderful he is. But because we are sinners, we look at that and go, ooh, I don't want anything to do with that. And we scurry away like cockroaches in the light. But now, a greater glory has occurred. The kind of glory that so outshines the glory of the law that it makes it look like it had no glory at all. It's sort of like, if you've ever been out in the middle of the night on a very clear night with a full moon, and you look up at the moon and you go, wow, that is really bright. And then the sun comes up. And the moon seems to disappear. And we all know from science class that the moon really doesn't have any light. It's just reflecting the glory of the sun. And in the same way, the law, though it had glory, when the greater glory came, it was like the sun rising and the moon, the law, the law moon, it just disappears in light of the goodness of God shown. And that's what he's talking about here. And then in verse 11, he says, For what if what was being brought to an end came with glory? Much more will what is permanent have glory. And then Paul says something really interesting here. And I I have to admit, I struggled with this for a long time before I finally grasped what he was getting at. Verse 12 and 13. See if you have the same uh, reaction to it that I had as I try to read it with an emphasis. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. Do you hear it? What it sounds like? It sounds like Paul saying, hey, compared to Moses, we're bold. Moses, he was a wimp. 
You know, Moses, he, he really, he was not bold at all. He was kind of timid. And that is the way some people read it. I don't think that is what Paul is trying to get at, though. I think what Paul is trying to get at here is he's saying, look, since we have such a hope, a hope of a greater glory, we are very bold in proclaiming this truth to you of the greater glory of God that is shown in the Gospel. And we're not like Moses who he put a veil over his own face so that they could not see the reflected glory We are showing you everything we've got. All of the glory of God. We're holding nothing back. Everything that God has shown us, we're showing to you. We want you to see God's glory in all of its fullness. And we don't want you to miss a moment of it. That's what they're getting at here. That's what Paul is getting at. He's not calling Moses a wimp, a timid wimp. He's saying, no, we're not putting a veil over our faces, we're taking the veil off and saying, look at the glory of God reflected in us. Look at the glory of God reflected in the good news of Jesus. Look at everything that God has done for us. And then he reminds them that hardness of heart was what kept people from seeing that glory. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You see, Paul knew the secret of knowing the glory of God. It's turning to the Lord. And when you turn to the Lord, the veil comes off. In fact, I really do believe that when Paul says this, he's not just saying those words, he's repeating what he saw in the pattern in Exodus 34. Just to remind you, verse 34 of chapter 34 of Exodus, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. So every time Moses turned to the Lord, the veil came off. Every time. Every time. And that's what Paul is saying. When we turn to the Lord, the veil comes off. And then he says something amazing. Verse 17. Now the Lord, the the Lord that Moses was speaking to is actually the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom to take off that veil. There is freedom to not have anything hinder your relationship with God except for you. And even you can be overcome by the power and glory and wonder of God. And folks, one commentator, I didn't put the quote in here because it was too long, but one commentator mentioned that God's purpose in all of this is so that we will be a little bit like Moses who was able to see something of God's glory and it changed him. And we are all to be like little Moseses, new Moseses, where we go into God's presence boldly with the veil removed and we see who he really is. And, and, and that 
plays well with what he says here in this passage because when we gaze on God's glory, we can't help but be changed. This is the verse that is so powerful. It is that rousing, powerful cry of freedom that we gaze on God's glory, we will be changed. Listen to what he says in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, look, the hardness of our hearts is gone because of the grace of God. And we can take off the veil and we can look straight at God, beholding His glory, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So, Maybe you're thinking, well, Stuart, I've been a Christian all my life. As far as I know, I've never seen the glory of God. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, Stuart? Um, I've been a member of the church for I don't know how many years. I've never had my face glow. Look, We're not talking about seeing shiny things. And we're not talking about glowing faces. What we're talking about is what God intended in the first place for us to be made more into the image of Jesus. Because you will reflect what you gaze at. Have you noticed that? The more you take in something, the more you become like that. I, I, I see it when my, my kids, when they were going to one school and they were around certain people, they came back and they spoke the language of that school and of those people. And then they moved to another school and then they started talking the language of that school. Because the more you spend time with someone, the more you spend time gazing at someone, the more you become like them. Right? So where do we see God's glory? We see God's glory most clearly in the face of Christ. That's where we see God's glory, in the face of Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. And if you're thinking, okay, Stuart, that's a stretch, listen to 2 Corinthians 4, the passage that comes right after this one. Listen to what he says. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, remember he's talking about a veil of hard-heartedness. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And listen, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, God has showed you His glory. His glory is Jesus. 
And He has shined that light into your heart and changed your heart. Just like that call to worship that we read this morning where the Holy Spirit will change our hearts and write God's law on our hearts so that we will be like Him. Do you hear that, church? It isn't just about getting your get-out-of-hell-free card and going to heaven when you die in the sweet by and by. It is about God transforming you from the inside out so that you will be like Jesus. And if you gaze at the glory of Jesus, if you put Him on your mind constantly, if you think about Him, you will be changed. That is the promise of God. I run into people all along, all the time, who tell me, Stuart, I can't change. I've been like this all my life. I can't change. Or if they don't talk about themselves, they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so. He'll never change. She'll never change. They're, they're always going to be that way. And, and I, hear, I hear that, and there's a part of me that goes, well, yeah, you know, the way that you can see future behavior is to look at past behavior, and past behavior predicts what's going to happen in the future, and yeah, everything we've seen so far says this, so I hear what you're saying, but that's leaving God, that's leaving the Holy Spirit, the veil-removing Holy Spirit out of the picture. And when the veil-removing Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and my heart and other people's hearts, there is no such thing as, oh, he can never change. We will change. Because we turn from our sin and we look to Jesus and go, he's beautiful. I want to gaze at this person for the rest of my life. In fact, I want to gaze at this person for eternity. That is what the Spirit does in our hearts. And as... Uh, one of the people in our presbytery says, uh, Douglas Kelly, in his book, New Life in the Wasteland, we are changed by what we gaze upon. It is intellectually, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually impossible to look at the Lord Jesus Christ in faith when the Holy Spirit is there and to remain the same as we are. Let me read that last part again. It is intellectually, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually impossible to look at the Lord Jesus Christ in faith when the Holy Spirit is there. Believer, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is this freedom. The freedom to be changed. The freedom to not stay the way that you are. The freedom to be transformed from the inside out so that we reflect the glory of Jesus as we gaze at Him day after day after day. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens in stages. It happens little bit by little bit. But we will shine with the glory of Jesus, every single one of us. Because we're like a mirror. And the mirror only reflects 
what is being gazed into it. Right? So folks, I got a couple of action points for you today. I'm going to start for those of you who don't believe. Actually, let me say it again. For those of you who don't yet believe. Because I'm convinced you're here for a reason. I'm convinced that you're listening to this sermon for a reason. That God has his eye on you and he's like, all right, here I come. I'm bringing you to myself. Ask the Spirit to remove the veil so you can know and experience the glory of Christ. If you're thinking, I can never change, I'm always going to be this way, I don't, or God could never love me, God could never forgive me, God doesn't want anything to do with me, hey, don't listen to that. Those are lies. Ask the Holy Spirit, remove the veil so that I can see Jesus and I can know I can not only be forgiven, I can be transformed, changed, a new creation, a new person. And when you do, we will be here to rejoice with you. We will be here to give you a high five and a hug. We will be here to say, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is another way that God is showing his glory in us, through us, around us, because of Jesus. But for those of you who believe, I'm going to ask you to be just like Paul and to be very bold. Ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to show you more of the glory of Christ. Don't be satisfied with just a little bit of glory. Some of you know that a few years ago, my family, we went to uh, the, the Grand Canyon. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, it is overwhelming how glorious that canyon really is. And it stretches for miles and miles and miles, every direction. And there's no place where you can gaze at that canyon where you're not struck with awe. Because it's amazing everywhere you go. But what if I like went up to the Grand Canyon and I like looked over and I go, oh yeah, that's pretty. And then I went back home. And that was it. That wouldn't be worth my time, would it? It wouldn't be worth it. Because I'm not letting it all really sink in. you got to take some time to let that really sink in. And I'm telling you, Christian, don't be satisfied with a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. Keep gazing. Keep gazing. Keep looking. And keep asking, show me more. Be like Moses. Show me your glory. I don't care what it does to me. I don't care what will happen. I don't care if my face literally glows like Moses. Let it happen. I want to know your glory. Show me Jesus. And if you do, I can tell you, God wants that prayer to be answered more than you do. And He will show you more of Himself. Again, maybe little bits, maybe here and there. Who knows what, how it will happen, but you will see 
more of the glory of Christ, and you will be different because of it. God promises. So, by the work of the Spirit, let's gaze. Not just a glance, not just a look. Let's gaze upon Jesus to know and experience His glory. And may that change us from the inside out. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, for those of us who do not yet know Jesus, remove the veil so that we can see His glory, His beauty, and be changed by it. And for those of us who do know You, Jesus, remove that veil even further so that we will know more and more of Your glory. Show us Your glory. Let us, like the song says, that we turn our eyes to You, Jesus, and we look full in Your wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of Your glory and grace. Let that be the case for Westminster Presbyterian Church, even today. Amen.